0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Welcome everyone. It's Hugh Ballou, founder and president of vision Leadership Foundation. We've been here every week for eight years, 300 episodes, talking to people with great information that helps us do a better job. And today's guest is no exception. So Aaron Hamlin, would you tell us who you are and the work you do? Tell us why you do it. So introduce yourself to our audience, please, sir.
1: Sure. Uh, So I'm the executive director for the Center for Election Science. Um, I also founded the organization with uh, uh, some folks in 2011. and while we've been at it for a while, we only kind of have more recently been able to, to take off, which is at the beginning of 2018 when we first got our, our funding. But um, my uh, background is academically in the social sciences. I have a couple of grad, graduate degrees in social sciences as well as a, as a law degree. Um, I've also set up a, another another nonprofit, uh, which was a male contraceptive initiative, which was to bring new male contraceptives to, to market. So. Um, uh, a serial uh, nonprofit entrepreneur uh, at this point.
0: Why did you choose to do this work instead of something else?
1: Um, so, well, so I was in school for uh, a long time. Uh, and the, the bulk of that time was because I didn't quite know uh, what I wanted to do. Um, but I had a kind of general criteria in my head uh, that would kind of guide me in terms of uh, whether I was in the right ballpark uh, for, for a place, uh, so uh, in addition to like intersecting with uh, uh, skill sets that I would have or be able to develop, I wanted to do something that was important, had high impact, uh, was uh, was tractable, and also could uh, scale at a meaningful uh, level to be able to impact uh, more people's lives in a positive way and uh, the types of ventures I've, I've found myself in uh, fit those types of criteria.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so your, your site um, is election science. So it's called electionscience.org. And so um, people are listening to this on a podcast, so they won't see it, but if they go there, um, what will they see? I want to show it for the people that are visual if I can figure out how to do this. But if they go there, what will they find?
1: Uh, so you're going to see a, uh, a map of the uh, US uh, kind of to, to start with. And when you look on that, you see all these kind of like you are here uh, type symbols across the map, which are chapters uh, across the, the country. So we have a, a, a multi-state Uh, chapter system where folks can uh, get involved and that goes to the core of what we're doing, which is to uh, move us away from this choose one voting method uh, where we run into all kinds of problems with vote splitting where uh, similar candidates are are running and as a consequence they can get artificially low amount of support. Um, You can wind up with the wrong winner. And what we do is we work with local communities and help them implement another voting method that allows them to select as many candidates as they want. You're not ranking, just imagine checking off as many candidates as you want. Uh, this method is called approval voting. We work with communities to be able to um, turn in, uh, to turn these chapters into uh, campaigns so that they can bring um, approval voting this method that you select as many candidates as you want to their own uh, city and state, uh, which we've already been on our way and being able to to demonstrate that.
0: So um, approval voting, Um, talk about what that is and why it's important.
1: Uh, So it's weird, there's there's this instance where uh, we would go to vote and there aren't a whole lot of instances like that where we can't be ignored. Um, so it's really exciting, and this is a time when um, it's also important to be able to get this part right, because the people that we elect, they determine the policies that govern our day-to-day lives, they decide how uh, enormous amounts of tax dollars are spent, and so it's unfortunate this one time that they can't ignore us that uh, the, uh, uh, the tool that we have the, the agency that we have is poor. Uh, we have this choose one voting method. It's not very expressive. Uh, it is susceptible to vote splitting when similar candidates run. It does a poor job of measuring support for, uh, for candidates. And so what we're looking at with this is seeing this really important critical point. And we wanna give voters a tool that provides some agency and so that they can collectively decide in a meaningful way who should represent them, so that the people who are in office, that their interests actually align with the voters themselves. Whereas right now, we have this really poor tool that puts us in all kinds of predicaments like uh, that we can get out of with approval voting. So say there are multiple candidates that you like, particularly in a primary, um, you under approval voting, you, you can select multiple of those candidates and the candidate with the, the most votes goes on to the, to the general election. And whether you're talking about the general election or a primary, we often run into this instance where there's a candidate that we really like to bring really good ideas to the table, and yet they may not be perceived as viable. So maybe they don't have a big war chest. Maybe they don't have the name recognition, but you still like their ideas. Under our current system, you'd be in a really big dilemma. Like, do I want to support this person? And perhaps like not get a say in the actual outcome by selecting among more of the front runners but with approval voting, uh, what voters and cities that have passed approval voting now are able to do is they're able to select these candidates um, regardless of their perceived viability, and they can support someone else at the same time uh, to make sure that these new ideas get traction if they're they're acceptable.
0: So the the benefit, what's the benefit in building community where where you have these systems active? How How does it impact the democratic process and the the culture of the local culture.
1: Yeah. So one thing that's it's exciting with our chapter progress uh, chapter system is that we recognize that the folks in the community are the real experts. Overall, um, they know the history of their community. Um, they uh, uh, they know the key people involved. And so in in, in working with those those folks um, they're able to. Um, Be able to send the message for why this is important for for them. So it could be an an instance where they just aren't getting candidates running um, who are talking about key issues uh, that are relevant for their community. Um, And so, if some of the more viable candidates who maybe have more money, um, maybe they want to ignore particular issues uh, with approval voting and these folks being able to uh, advocate for approval voting in their communities they're able to, in some instances, just attract candidates who otherwise wouldn't run. In fact, uh, in one of the cities that have adopted approval voting, Fargo, North Dakota, in uh, that city, uh, we're seeing a lot more candidates run for mayor this time. And some of the new media outlets are saying like, well, like maybe this is because of approval voting because previously, if some of these candidates had run, um, maybe they would just be worried about like just kind of being brushed aside. But now they know with approval voting people can look at them on their merits. And so if they bring good ideas to the table, if they show that they're really qualified, they can get those votes. Whereas otherwise, perhaps if they didn't have the same kind of name recognition, maybe they would just be pushed aside and ignored. So with approval voting, we're also seeing this dynamic where you have a much more open political dialogue uh, than, than previously, because you're able to see these new ideas get to the table. And when they have merit, they can get traction in a way that they otherwise wouldn't be able to.
0: That's a fascinating concept. So as a, um, a ser- serial social entrepreneur, what are some of the leadership challenges you had in setting up this particular nonprofit? Because this is an idea that's like way away from what the norm is. I mean, it's a great idea, but you certainly had some naysayers and some pushbacks. So what were the challenges you had in setting this one up?
1: In setting up the organization, um, I think one of the, the main challenge, well, so early on, and this is probably a story that a lot of folks working in the nonprofit sector or setting up nonprofits are familiar with, which is in the beginning, there's there's no uh, funds. So like uh, you can't take on some of these aggressive uh, projects. And so uh, in, the initial, in the initial phase, like we were just thinking about which tool we wanted to advocate for, which voting method we wanted to advocate for. And, after coming to approval voting, um, we still had a challenge. So it did a lot of things really well. It did really well in terms of winner selection, did well in terms of measuring candidate support, which we've since been able to show empirically and published, for instance, in the European Journal of Political Economy, um, comparing to control measures that approval voting does better than other voting methods in terms of matching like an honest assessment scale. So it does a good job in measuring candidate support. But, even with all these like, great things about it with winter selection, um, measuring candidates support well, and also just being practical and simple, easy to implement, easy to understand, one challenge with approval voting uh, or advocating for that as an organization was that it hadn't been used before. So a lot of times with an organization, um, particularly things that are newer concepts, you have to go through and look at proof of concept, um, uh, replication, and scaling. And so we went into this knowing that that's what we had to do. And so uh, we worked uh, initially with a smaller city, Fargo, North Dakota, which is about 120,000 people, uh, worked with them, worked with uh, a task force that the commission created. And then one of the members of the task force, after the commission, decided not to uh, listen to the task force, which was recommending approval voting, got it on the ballot, um, passed it by 63%, and then um looking after the folks in Fargo were able to again like gather their own agency with approval voting looking at a larger city Uh, and we've since done that with St. Louis which is 300,000 people and now we are working with um uh, folks in Seattle, Washington which is expected to go on the ballot this November um and Seattle is a three quarters of a million people and also looks optimistic there as it's pulling at about 70%. So um, one of the challenges a lot of folks face is when you're doing something new, you have to share proof of concept, duplicate, and scale. And fortunately, we're moving along that path.
0: And you have to talk about the benefits, don't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're in this situation where we have this uh, key uh, uh, instance where uh, we're, we're talking about Electing people to office that have this enormous power, and so being able to give people agency in a way that they otherwise don't have in this kind of key leverage point is critical. And so we're really excited about um, empowering these folks in these communities.
0: Yeah, it's been a it's been a tough system to get into if you didn't have money and power, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I, I think again that goes back to. We, we think about this viability component uh, too often, like uh, unfortunately in, in, in terms of deciding where our, our vote goes. And we use these proxy measures for viability like name recognition and how much money a particular candidate has, but how much money a candidate has and how uh, uh, familiar their name sounds aren't necessarily good predictors for how well they're gonna represent you in office. And so it's important that we have a voting method that allows you to just support candidates that uh, speak to you, that 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 communicate the ideas and policies that you care about.
0: Wow, <clears throat> this is um, a fascinating concept, and it you know it helps us rethink some old systems, which we really need to do in a lot of areas. But you know we're we're troubled about um, a lot of things with our voting and the um, the old guard people coming in with power, and then not using it the way we hope they had promised they were going to use it. It's sort of um you may not like this analogy, but uh if you watch a NASCAR race, you know, they're talking about the people that are in the top 10, the people that have shown promise, the people that have so you there's there's people that place in different spots and they're not devalidated, but they're they're a work in process. And sometimes they might win another race. So it's a chance for people to get out and prove themselves. So uh, is that, is that a fair analogy or is that way off base?
1: Sure, I, I think in, in, in that, uh, and I don't follow NASCAR uh, very closely, but uh, at least in, in that instance, like it's more of a level playing field. So you, you give everyone an opportunity, which right now, when you look at the way that politics is, is handled and the type of, of boundaries that they are forced to, to operate in, not, not so much in terms of level playing field.
0: Wow. That's a really important benchmark. So um, what were some of the challenges? Just go back to the challenges because a lot of us have trouble. We, we, we're so getting volunteers or group support or funding or anything. You know, we want to talk about what we do instead of the results of what we do. So, come back at that again. I know I asked it before, but uh, how did you drill down on you need this because here's the value it's going to bring to your community? How did you get to that point? And I'm sure it was not a slam dunk convincing people to do something so different.
1: Well, I think like part of it was I had to go through that realization myself. So, here, I mean, here we're talking about this concept that. Is is not a very common one to think about. We're talking about the voting method, so I think a lot of times when we think about voting, um, or if uh, you took like a person off the street and said, "Hey, what's uh, what's voting?" They would say, "Like, oh yeah, you you choose uh, uh, like one candidate, and the candidate with the most votes wins," and that's that's an example of voting, but that's not voting itself. Uh, voting is a collective decision process where we express information. Uh, there's some calculation method, and then we get a result. Um, And then that result tells us who is in that office. And for for me, when I first went through and realized that like, voting methods were a thing, and there are different ways of doing this, I was in grad school. This was in 2008. And I was in the student group, and we were all talking about who we were going to vote for, and we were out at dinner. And we were going around the table and I was listening to, to my friends talking about who they were going to vote for, and they were voting for people who I knew were against their interests, like they, they did not agree on the policy issues, particularly the policy issues that we were in the student group for. Um, and so I was a bit baffled by this, and uh, as I walked away, I thought like, well, I can could, I could either keep giving my friends a hard time, maybe have fewer friends who are willing to put up with me during during grad school, uh, or maybe thinking about this in terms of, like, when you when you look at things at the population level and you're thinking about behavior, a lot of that behavior tends to come from parameters uh, that force behavior to to move in a certain way. So my friends in this instance were acting against their interests, and they were doing that not because they wanted to, but because there was a voting method that forced them to vote a certain way. And so when I saw that and they were saying like, well, I don't wanna waste my vote. This person's not gonna win anyway. I saw that it wasn't, really, it wasn't them behaving foolishly. They were acting rationally given the parameters that were around them. And so from that, I, I thought like, okay, well, maybe there's something with this voting method component. Maybe there are other ways to do this that encourage better behavior. And from then on, I became obsessed with voting methods.
0: You know, it's been so often I vote for the the candidate that's less bad than the other one, you know? And you it's so the same reason. You, you're stuck in a system and you got to do either or. It's sort of this dualistic thinking that we get stuck in. It's this or that. And what you're giving people is, you know, some options to think creatively. That's really, um, it's really a powerful concept. So go back to how many, how many, um, what do you call them? Affiliates that you have around the country. What do you call those?
1: Uh, chapters. Yeah, okay. and we have uh, dozens of chapters uh, around the country, and including um, looking at states, which is where we're pivoting to next.
0: You got one in Virginia. It looks like it's over on the other side from me.
1: Uh, the 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 challenge though with uh, with states, um, they're a bit more efficient in terms of campaigns. Um, because you hit federal offices, all the state offices, and all the local offices at the same time. Um, and there are only um, twenty or so states that allow statewide ballot initiatives and because uh, there's a conflict of interest with folks in office, like we basically make sure that we're talking a bit more with the the people versus the the people who are elected first, at least um, uh, uh, earlier on. so for instance, like after we are able to work with um, a lot of these uh, communities so that maybe 10 uh, plus states are, are using approval voting, uh, which for clarity is not the same as ranked choice voting. It's a, it's a different method. Ranked choice voting bo- involves ranking approval voting, You're just selecting as many as you want. Um, but as we move f- uh, further down the line, um, we can begin talking a bit more with non-ballot initiative states uh, because at that point there will be more precedent um, so the balance of states is, we, we might look at that and say like, this is where the lower hanging fruit is, or it's the earlier part of the adoption curve, which is why we're um, uh, focusing on them first.
0: The next question is actually two questions. It's about why that you chose a nonprofit specifically. I want to drill a little bit deeper into that. And then um, how does this uh, drive civic engagement and participation so there's two pieces to this, you know, why a nonprofit and then how does that drive for the engagement, uh, civic engagement and the, the democratic process? Uh,
1: in terms of uh, a nonprofit, I think that's a good question to, to ask because like I talk with a lot of people uh, who often want to set up their own nonprofit. And when I'm talking with them, the first thing, one of, one of the first things I ask them is like, are you are you sure? Like, are you sure this is, a, is both, something that you want to put all this energy behind? And are you also sure this is the right mechanism? Like Because it may not be. Um, And so uh, for the Center of Flexion Science, we don't explicitly provide um, a sellable good or service um, in the way that a for-profit business would. Um, And so because we don't have that same kind of profit model, it doesn't really make sense for us to to do that. Um, And so, uh, in that context, uh, a nonprofit uh, made sense. Um, there are certain uh, uh, limitations that we have in terms of lobbying. We totally can lobby as a as a 501c3, um, and uh, we opt into something called the expenditure test, so that kind of gives us uh, some clearer parameters in terms of what we can do. Um, and as we go into uh, uh, states, uh, we'll be uh, we're. Setting up a five hundred one c four, which is another type of of nonprofit that doesn't have the same kind of of uh, limits on what you can spend on on lobbying, which is necessary to be able to take on campaigns of, of that scale. So, um, within a nonprofit, it still allowed us to do all the activities that we uh, that we needed to do uh, while um, not having the um, profit motive, uh, financial profit motive uh, that. Uh, a for-profit corporation would have and so it just kind of made a good fit overall um and then uh in terms of uh your other question which was uh with turnout
0: well driving civic engagement in in the democratic process yeah
1: um so one of the things that is again like really unfortunate and I, i think we i mean you just kind of told your your own story as well but it's just so so common i think we all. Have been there where we look at where where I would say we we dare to to look past the first two candidates and and we look to see what other people are thinking in terms of their policy ideas and as we're going through it, like like oh some of these ideas sound uh, pretty decent Uh, and like I wouldn't mind like supporting this person like they seem to have good ideas that they're bringing to the table and then you think like oh I only get one vote though Uh, so. This person's probably not going to win, uh, and I want to be able to, like, say, have a say in the outcome. If I choose this other person, then I'm not really doing that, and so um, we we find ourselves in, in this predicament. And so the other thing with approval voting that it, it I think uh, empowers and encourages people on is that it 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 emboldens them uh, to be able to look past the first couple candidates. Uh, like not just like the the, the, the ones that are um, like polling the highest at, at that moment in time. And so it's really exciting that this can really set off a positive feedback loop in terms of like introducing new ideas, allowing different ideas to gain traction that maybe otherwise wouldn't have because I mean, we have all these issues that uh, just like a lot of the folks in office just kind of abandoned us on. Um, and when the... Quote, unquote viable candidates are, are the ones that control uh, what we can think about in terms of, of policy. They're, they can limit us. And, and if they don't care about a particular issue that the rest of the world does, then we don't get any representation there. Uh, and approval voting makes it so that people can dare to run and be able to get traction in a way that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. And that's one thing that we see time and time again. Is that newcomers and third parties were able to get support in a way that's just otherwise invisible under our current system, and even under other methods that involve that ranking.
0: Wow, that's a that's a clear value proposition right there. You know, it encourages more people to get involved on both sides in running for office and people um, being able to interview and have conversation, meaningful conversation with people that. Maybe they think they're not going to win, but you could still vote for them. That's just it's um, so. Folks listening to this, you might have a radical idea, but you know that's good. You can you can sell the radical idea. Uh, now you you keep mentioning we. Do you have a team around you?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we hire. Uh, we have a, a, a very uh, diligent process for for hiring staff, and as a result, we have a, a wonderfully talented team. Uh, as well as a board of directors. Um, so uh, Chris Raleigh, our director of campaigns, um, he comes from the political world running, like helping candidates run. Um, and he's done a tremendous job with setting up this structure. Um, our director of operations and programs, uh, uh, Caitlin Ali Pena, she's done a wonderful job making sure that like we have this backbone within our organization where everything runs smoothly. Um, uh, Michael Peel is our director of philanthropy. Um, He does a wonderful job making sure that all of our donors are properly thanked and engaged and letting them know the meaningful work that they're uh, allowing to be done. And then our director of of research, uh, Whitney Hua, she uh, has set up this really amazing nationwide polling process uh, across all the ballot initiative states to be able to give us this. Uh, one, to let us know that approval voting is viable in all these states, and then also giving us the ability to um, to be able to plan far into the future. So this our, our team has been wonderful.
0: So choosing the right team and letting them do what you've asked them to do. So um, here's a good leader, folks. Picked a good team and lets them do their thing. And I wanna <clears throat> highlight the The director of philanthropy, um, he thanks donors, lets them know what's happening. We often skip over that part, so that part is so critical. Let people know what's going on, and then when you come around to your campaign, you're not trying to climb a hill to see if they'll donate again. They're already on board, and they and they're convinced that you've been good stewards of their of their money. So, um, Aaron, I'm inspired by this, and thank you for your work in improving our communities and our systems. And, uh, what, what, um, what parting challenge or thought would you have for leaders out there as we leave this really good podcast? Uh,
1: I mean, I, the,
0: I mean, I tend to think
1: about problems in a, a system a systematic way. Uh, and I mean, I think there are different kinds of tools for this and thinking about like what's important, not trying to take on, uh, too much like if you take on like too many different things you can split your effort in terms of like what's most important and you can just do a bunch of things uh, not so great uh, so I think it's important to uh, think about where your focus is and also um, kind of step back and think about the overall outcome that you want and as you're working on making decisions within the organization to um, focus on um, thinking like okay uh, if we're going to spend resources uh, on this particular activity, does it help us overall achieve this uh, this uh, outcome that we want? And if it doesn't logically connect in some way to being able to achieve that outcome, then maybe we should be doing other things. So um, we're often limited with with resources and and time, and so we have to kind of think carefully about these these big decisions and uh, um, and also uh, make sure you hire
0: really well. <laughs> That's those are all wise words. So, um, add an, add Aaron Ham, Hamlin, sorry, Aaron Hamlin, you can find, um, about election science, uh, and the, the, these links are on the page the nonprofit exchange, the nonprofit exchange.org will take you to an information page. You can click on there and see all of the episodes in this one. Um, you can find, uh, and the link is there, electionscience.org is the organization, and Aaron Hamlin, A-A-R-O-N-H-A-M-L-I-N.com, and he's got some articles and resources for you people working in the nonprofit that you'll find extremely useful. So, um, Aaron, thank you for being here and sharing some great resources with us today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Absolutely. Thank you so much, you. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.